The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Up next on The Exchange is a chat with venture capitalist John Doerr and his efforts to cut carbon emissions. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Jennifer Saba, a New York-based columnist for Breaking Views, the global financial commentary arm of Reuters. In January, I zoomed in with John Doerr, the chairman of venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins and an original investor at Amazon and Google. He has a new book out about fighting climate change called Speed and Scale. Take a listen to our discussion as John argues that it's cheaper to save the planet than to ruin it. John, welcome to The Exchange. We're excited to have you on. Um, It's good to see you. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I am um, really um, interested in hearing about um, your latest book, Speed and Scale, and also just sort of your background with climate change. So let me kick this off by starting with the kind of big picture question here is, what inspired you, first of all, to tackle climate change? I mean, this is something that's been of interest for you for a while now, correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, it all started for me with Al Gore's movie some 15 years ago. Do you mm-hmm. remember An Inconvenient Truth? I do remember it, yes. Well, I took my family to, to see that, and among them was, with some friends, was An Inconvenient Youth, mm-hmm. my 15-year-old then daughter, Mary Dorr. And after the movie was over, we had a dinner table conversation about it, went around the table, asked people what they thought, Uh, When it came to Mary, she looked uh, straight at me, Jennifer, and said, Dad, I'm scared and I'm angry. Your generation created this problem. You better fix it. And I had no idea what to say. The room went silent. So I I set out in 2006 to learn all that I could about the climate crisis with my partners at Kleiner Perkins. Yeah. And we traveled the world. We went to the Amazon rainforest, the Mojave Desert, to labs in China, uh, MIT. And uh, what what we found then and is true still today is uh, the world is not doing nearly enough. And we began then investing in entrepreneurs and innovators and scientists. And over the course of three of our venture capital funds put about a billion dollars into 70 different climate-related ventures and learned a lot of lessons along the way there. Uh, Many of those struggled, uh, some succeeded, and that brings us to where we are today. So um, speed and scale then, my understanding of it is, is it's basically a a roadmap to drive greenhouse emissions down. Um, So let me also, you know, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of this, I want to ask a very basic and somewhat silly question, but I think it's kind of important. What exactly is net zero? Like, can you describe that to me? And, and what does that mean when people say we want to get to net zero emissions by, you know, X date? Net zero is when we are putting no more carbon in our atmosphere than we're taking back. So there's flows of carbon in and out of the atmosphere. As a tree grows or is planted, it absorbs carbon. And its removal of carbon in that way subtracts from the overall balance. Okay. So it's it's a question of of balance. And the, the numbers are large, 
but easy to remember, we put 59 gigatons, that's 59 billion tons of global warming gases, effective gases, CO2 pollution in the atmosphere every year as if it's some kind of free and open sewer. That 59 gigatons is a net number. It uh, includes the balance of the six or so gigatons that we absorb every year through the world's forests or the uh, net additional pollution that's created when we cut down a forest. Mm -hmm. There's six main sources of these 59 gigatons of emissions. And the most urgent thing that we must do is cut these as rapidly and drastically as possible. The science tells us that if we get to net zero by 2050, we then have a better than even chance, a 50-50 chance of having a world no warmer than one and a half degrees Celsius. And the science tells us that will be a degree of warming that will leave the earth probably habitable. Unfortunately, the plans that we have in place uh, have us off track. We're, if we achieve all the pledges that have been made by all the governments and companies in the world, we're going to have more than two degrees Celsius warming, two to three degrees. And that's if we meet the pledges that we've made. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, an urgent task. It's the most important problem uh, that that confronts us, and it's why I looked at the very good work that's been done here. Lots of goals: the Paris goals, the uh, uh, voluntary uh, climate goals. None of these goals were a plan. That is a set of uh, clear measures with dates and times, all of which added up to net zero. And so that's the genesis of the speed and scale book. Well, you you basically recommend six steps and you, you've actually, I mean, you've reduced it to a cocktail napkin that you could put it all down on a cocktail, which was you know, pretty, pretty impressive, I have to say. But these are these are big steps. So why don't you just kind of quickly outline the six steps and then um, and then I can go from there. But but go ahead sure. and tell me like what let me, what, let me do that. And for, for yeah. your listen, listeners, I'll, I'll just interject. They can get this plan, this infographic, all big six steps for free right now. They just go to the website speedandscale.com. Okay. Open it up. They can follow along as we have this conversation. Uh, they can print it out. They can download it. They can share it. Uh, they can check it every night before they go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> The six steps are one, electrify transportation, which okay. means stop using gas and diesel to power our vehicles. Two, decarbonize our electric grid by using wind and solar and safe nuclear instead of coal and natural gas to generate electricity. Step number three is to fix our food systems. And that means eating somewhat less meat and dairy, wasting less food, some 30% of food is wasted in improving our soil health. That's number three, fix our food systems. Fourth, importantly, protect nature. Those are our oceans and forests, our wetlands and grasslands. Stop deforesting the Amazon as an example. Uh, fifth, clean up industry. And this means uh, innovate, 
and improve in the ways that we make materials like steel and concrete. We're not going to stop making steel and concrete. And right now they are huge emitters of carbon pollution. Finally, number six, we've got to figure out how to make how, how to remove the stubborn carbon that's left over because no matter how aggressive our goals are we're still going to be flying airplanes around and emitting some carbon pollution and so we need both natural and mechanical ways to take carbon out of the atmosphere the latest un report suggested we need to do that with 10 gigatons per year by 2050. Those are the six big goals. Okay, let, let me ask you something with number six. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but 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 you. This is something I'm trying to wrap my head around because um, they're big goals. But num let's take the remove carbon. Uh, so what what you're saying is that it's not just getting to net zero. It's that you have to actually take carbon out of the air, right? And I'm assuming you can do that by planting trees. But how do you do that? Uh, mechanically like what's the what are other ways to do that because that that seems you know well, well one way that is not yet proven but is undergoing investment and in innovation is called direct air capture and that's where you uh, put in place huge fans mm -hmm. and amine sorbents which will take the very small molecular concentration of carbon out of the air as the air flows over it. And then you take that carbon as it's accumulated and you mm -hmm. have to sequester it. You have to pump it underground. Mm -hmm. now, I wanna give you an idea of the economics and the scale of this and why I think this is the hardest part, one of the hardest parts of the plan. Um, there's 400 parts per million of carbon in our atmosphere right now, everywhere. And we have to gather together those parts every year and take uh, five gigatons of them removed by so-called mechanical means. Think of these as kind of mechanical trees. They're great big fans. And right now, the scale at which we're doing this is about 4,000 tons per year. Not 4 billion, but 4,000 tons. Mm -hmm. And it costs an average of 600 to 800 maybe a thousand dollars per ton to do it today we've hmm. got to get those costs down to a hundred dollars per ton for it to be barely affordable take four billion tons times a thousand dollars that's four trillion dollars per year to okay. take carbon out of the atmosphere okay that sounds huge <laughs> and, and, it, and it requires a huge amount of clean energy. It would take today to achieve our goals, solar panels that would cover the entire state of Florida, just dedicated to that. And then we have to pump it back under the ground. And that's as big an industrial effort as the size of the world's entire oil industry today, pumping carbon fuels out of the ground. We've got to run the oil industry in reverse gear mm. for this solution to be practical. And the science tells us, the UN report says, we need 10 gigatons of carbon removal from natural and mechanical means. This is why uh, I, I say it's the most difficult of, one of the most difficult of all the goals that we must achieve.
Mm -hmm. So well, let's talk about the, some of the other goals then, because of the six, I mean, obviously six, number six is going to be the most difficult, but what about the others? Where where are we closest? If you oh, could, that's a great question. I'd, I'd say we're making the most progress on the first one, which is to electrify transportation. Yeah. And for, for each of these goals, these are objectives. The plan has what are called key results, which are very specific, time-bound, measurable, no arguments, this is done or not done, uh, measures that we're on track to achieve the goal. So I, I said we're in the best shape right now in electrifying transportation. Its goal is to take eight gigatons per year of transportation emissions and reduce that to two. Remember I told you we wouldn't get rid of all of them. There'll be yeah. some left over. Yeah. Eight to two gigatons by 2050. That's a six gigaton reduction. Remember, overall, we've got to reduce 59 gigatons to zero by 2050. And we've got to cut it in half by 2030. I mean, this is even more urgent than 2050. We've got to take our 59 gigatons and make them 30 mm -hmm. by, by 2030. That means we've got to reduce them by eight gigatons this year, 8%. We need an eight percentage point reduction this year, next year, the year after, the year after, 2022, 2023, 2024, because the world is growing and people are consuming and driving more. And so th things aren't regrettably standing still. What's a measure of how we're doing? Well, in the third quarter of this year, 1% of the new vehicles were electric vehicles. The world was surprised when in the fourth quarter of the year just ended, that number jumped up to 4%, largely due to increases in China, but ahead of what my key result is, which is that one of two new personal vehicles purchased worldwide would be electric by 2030. That's key result number 1.2, and that 95% of them would be electric by 2040. So getting new vehicles to be electric, crucial. But what really matters is of all the miles driven in the world, what percent of those are electric or clean? And even today, the number of miles driven, because we have hundreds of billions of internal combustion, gas-powered, diesel-powered vehicles, we're under 1%. So it's a heavy lift, but we yeah. can get there. Well, let me let me ask you this too, because you mentioned OKRs, and maybe you could describe that, um, you know, for our listeners, what what those are. Because what jumps out at me is that, you know, you well, well, first of all, let me tell me what an OKR is. Sure, yeah, OKRs are a, a powerful magical system for setting goals. It was invented by one of the all-time great managers and leaders, and a mentor of mine, Andy Grove at Intel. Mm -hmm. And they were making the microchip and they realized they needed to make billions of microchips at scale. They all had to work right. All the lines to within one millionth of a meter had to be correct or nothing would work at all. And simply put, it's a way of having every knowledge worker, every team take the time to write down with clarity. And I know you love clear writing uh, their <laughs> goals their objectives, and then their measures for achieving them. The objectives are what I want to have accomplished. The key results are how I'm going to get that done. And these six 
areas of removal have accelerators. There are six areas where we're going to cut emissions, but we have to do this in time. Remember, I told you we got to get halfway there by 2030. The science tells us that. And so there are four accelerators winning in the policy and politics, turning movements into action, which is a fascinating part of the plan, innovating, continuing to invent lower cost ways to get this carbon out of the atmosphere, and fourth, to invest, to marshal the monies so that we can rebuild a whole new clean economy, not an economy based on fossil fuels. So let's talk about number one then, because that seems to be the most intractable to me, because this is a government, it seems it has to be a government-led initiative. Um, and it just seems, even in like the United States, we can't agree on anything. You, we have 50 states all wanting to do their own things. Then we have to think about it globally. And then, you know, if you think about the biggest carbon polluters, if you will. It's the United States, it's it's the United Kingdom, it's India and Russia, China. And I just trying to think about how all these countries come together to agree on something, it just doesn't even seem possible. So how do you, how do you get to number one even? Because I'm, that's, that's re- really how it has to work, I'm assuming. How do we get to n- number one? I mean, how one? do we get government, like basically you need government. How, how do we get governments to move? Yeah, basically. Uh, you've you've put your finger on the hardest social problem here because it's very hard for governments to get ahead of their people. And so we've got to win the politics and the policy. But in order to do that, we've got to take and grow and nurture and celebrate movements that translate into action. And... I could I could write a whole book on this. There's one chapter on the topic, yeah. but there's no better story, I think, than another teenager 15 years later, Greta Thunberg, uh, yeah. who in 2018, I tell her story. She was a lone Swedish teenager skipping school on Fridays, standing outside the parliament with her sign. By 2019, Fridays for the Future, she calls her campaign. By 2019, she'd organized the world's largest demonstration in over 100 cities, a million demonstrators, mostly youth, to call for urgent climate action. And the key result that I've used to capture what she did, which was quite remarkable, but not enough, is that we've got to make the climate crisis a top two voting issue in the top 20 emitting countries of the world because it's very hard for political leaders to get ahead of their populations. Mm -hmm. Well, Greta's work over the course of 18 months made climate a top two voting issue through the European nations. And they enacted the most advanced and aggressive programs into law to stop coal, for example, and to improve vehicle efficiencies and to further incentivizes renewable energy. That's in Europe. She did not move the needle. She did not make it a top two voting issue in the United States of America, in China, the world's largest emitter, in India. And so this work of turning movements into actions says we've got to do that by 2025, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. That gives us just three years from now. And so we need 
all of the anger and muscle and indignation and civil disobedience that Greta and others can mount to change voter sentiment around this issue. So let's talk about where I think you probably have the biggest impact, I mean, directly, right, which is an investment. Where's the business opportunity, right? Like, how do you get the business community, how do you get the startup community to say, look, this is a, a huge opportunity. Here's here's what it looks like. Well, I two things. I, I, I point to a real revolution that's happened in the last I'm gonna I'm gonna say three years, which is the phenomenal shift of shareholder and investor interest to electrifying transportation. We have Tesla, which is one of the most valuable companies in the world right now. Yeah, which you passed on investing. If if I if, according well, to right? biggest investment mistake of my life was yeah. to invest yeah. in Fisker instead of in Tesla. I, I, I will tell you at the time they both looked like struggling new car companies. <laughs> But uh, don't weep for me. It's great for the world because what Elon has done is he's put the entire automobile industry on notice that the future is electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And the winners who do the best jobs of getting there are going to get the rewards. This is not, Jennifer, some kind of kumbaya green party that we're having here. It's a real revolution. And there mm -hmm. are winners and there are losers. So that's an incredibly powerful example. And uh, I, I would say in, innovators around the world are uh, furiously working on artificial intelligence software and better batteries and better means of propelling uh, vehicles of all kinds, cars and trucks, uh, autonomous driving. There's a, a real surge of activity there that gives me great hope we can get to a transportation system that will allow us to reduce those eight gigatons to two gigatons. Where do I advise people to go look? I advise them to go to the back page of this plan because it has all 10 objectives, but then the supporting key results with numbers for every one of the sizes of the sectors. Mm -hmm. For example, methane leaks. These are just leaks. This is wasting of natural gas amount to three gigatons per year that we can reduce through better valves, better satellite imaging, better measurements. And, and so an entrepreneur can say, you know, I, I really care about the food system and I have a personal set of superpowers that can help us develop uh, other sources of protein that are not just based on animal meat. So how does Kleiner Perkins, I think, overall balance, you know, the need for your investors, right, to grow to grow money and then also the need um, to meet, you know, your objectives and help fund companies that are going to help clean up the atmosphere. So how do, how do you think about that? So you, you do both. And in, indeed, I think companies that are not addressing sustainability, they're, they're not making it an integral part of their service, don't attract the most customers, don't get the best employees and don't retain them. So. Larry Fink, one of the world's greatest investors, the CEO of BlackRock, is on record as saying that uh, climate risk is investment risk, and he's looking for there to be a thousand climate unicorns over mm -hmm. the course of this massive reimagining of how we do everything, a reindustrialization of the planet. So 
you know, and I also know that, you know, Larry Fink and others are making that an investment thesis. I mean, do you think that institutional investors are doing enough in this area to kind of push for change at, you know, some of these huge companies that are part well, of the problem? Subject to the qualification that everything we're doing is not enough. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually think the investment uh, sector is uh, leading the way. Business is leading the way. Yeah. Um, and you mean uh, versus government compared to governments, which have to lag behind and can't get very far ahead of their voting population. One of the things that I that I want to say, which I, I believe is very important, is is that in the early days of the Internet revolution, I kicked up quite a firestorm by declaring that the Internet had been underhyped. Yeah. And, and and I'm saying the same thing today about the climate revolution. I mm -hmm. think that the economic opportunity, the planetary imperative, if it's not been underhyped, it's at least underappreciated. I mean, look look at the year just ended. We had thirty billion dollars worth of flooding damage in in Europe, twenty five billion dollars of flooding damage estimated in China. Hurricane Ida alone in the U.S cost over $95 billion of damage. Tell me this, Jennifer, how much more damage are we going to have to endure before the world appreciates that it's cheaper to save the planet than to ruin it? There's 25 million net new jobs at stake between now and 2030. That's more jobs than the entire construction industry in mm. Europe. Mm. These new jobs are out there for the nations and people of the world that seize them, that 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 perceive this not just as some kind of job-killing tax, but a, a an opportunity creating a transition. And so investors are responding. We had uh, a forecast that we needed to get to some, let me pull the number here, venture capital up to $50 billion per year as soon as we possibly could. In 2019, it was 13.6 billion. You know what it was last year? $39 billion. We started the conversation um, with uh, uh, the movie or the, the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. So I wanna ask you, um, did you see the movie uh, Don't Look Up? Yes, three times. You did it three times? And what did you think? I think it's brilliant. I think it's yeah. spectacular. I think. Uh, it's, as you may well know, it's the second most viewed new video ever on Netflix. They rank them by hundreds of millions of hours watched. And it's number two for the 30-day period of its, its opening window. Uh, Leo DiCaprio's rant, which is like out of the movie Network, was just yeah. brilliant. That's authentic. He is the real deal. Uh -huh. And so... Maybe it got a rating of 55 on Rotten Tomatoes uh, or being criticized for not being artistically correct. But I, I think it's a it's an incredible accomplishment and I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, John, um, thank you so much for joining us here on the exchange. And um, I hope you have a good day. Yes. That wraps up this episode of The Exchange. I want to give a shout out to Sharon Lamb and Pranav Kiran, who produced this podcast. If you haven't done so already, please sign up on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you go for audio cravings. Also, check out our sister podcast, The Views Room. And of course, don't forget to read BreakingViews.com. Thanks for tuning in and listening. <laughs>